Oh, my God. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Now the minion is gone, a few died, some moved on. But the back of the store still remembers the song. The nine men who waited till one came along. How Shabbos was carried on a song.
In the AM, Mehera and Viserev, done by um, uh, the Miami Boys Choir from their brand new um, a cappella album entitled Yavo Acapella. Nice new concept and uh, a couple of really nice selections. Uh, before that, Schlockrock with Minion Man off of Schlockapella. You heard Hineni Muchan done by Mendy Werdiger for the Days of Sphera. Nahum Stark's Elon, I Got My Shabbos. That was from Schlock Capella. 
Hashem Melech, that's the Y studs. And from Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday on this May 1st. It's May Day. Welcome to a Friday, 7th of ER, the year 5780, Tufshin Pei. Today is day number 22 in the counting of the Omer. Today is day number 22. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so uh, sometime today. Tarif Shabbos, Parshas, Achremos, and Kedoshim. Could you imagine? Two Parshios. Achremos and Kedoshim. Which makes the list of Parshios we have not heard in Shul. And I'm not suggesting that we need to make them up. I think that's been discussed already enough times. Um, but just as out of curiosity... Uh, in terms of the partios that we've missed in shul, uh, five, six, seven, eight, and this would be nine, ten. So we ten partios. Obviously, we had Shabbos Cholamoid, so that was one of the weeks. Uh, ten partios over uh, eight Shabbatot that we are not in shul. And um, boy, oh boy, a lot of people are anxious to get back to shul, that's for sure. Um, today is going to start. Tonight we'll start the eighth Shabbos in isolation. We've completed seven weeks of isolation. Uh, candle lighting time on this era of Shabbos, Achremos and Kedoshim in New York is 7.32. 7.32 is your candle lighting time. Um, Bahab starts Monday. Pesach Sheni is a week from today on Friday. I actually had this vision of uh, nice Pesach Sheni get-togethers to make up for the fact that we were all so alone compared to normal years at the Seder, but I guess that likely won't happen. Pirkei Avos, Perak Gimel, Chapter 3 is said, uh, tomorrow, 54 degrees, 95% humidity, winds are east at 4 miles per hour. Thunderstorms today with a high of 64, then tonight partly cloudy, a low 51. And then in this area, a couple of really nice-looking days. Partly cloudy in 72, and then Sunday, 77 degrees. I don't know. I don't know how people are going to be able to stay in their homes with those kinds of uh, weather conditions. We shall see. 71 in Yerushalayim, 54 here in... Um, New York City, as we say good morning at JM in the AM. There we go. Uh, Malcolm Holmline, an hour from now, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He'll join us coming up in the uh, 7 o'clock hour, or by Uden, of course, at 8.15. Dr. Stuart Ditchick, we'll hear from him at about 8.35. He's been very outspoken about a lot of stuff going on with COVID-19. He will join us in the 8 o'clock hour this morning. All coming up. Keep it here at JM in the AM. Yeah, oh. 
Friday morning, JM in the AM. That's the uh, 613 group. They are good at that with uh, Aishas Heil and then Godlu. And before that, you heard Kedusha. A beautiful selection here at JM in the AM. Uh, welcome to those of you around the world. Thanks so much for joining us. Much appreciated, to say the least. You can feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Segal Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. Uh, and I thank you for that. Malcolm Homeline coming up. We'll do the weekly update at about 7.40 a.m. Eastern time. So we'll have that for you here at JM in the AM. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dog Sausage and Deli is the world's best. Serving the kosher world since 1954 and available at better kosher supermarkets nationwide. Try A&H today. Day 22 in the counting of the Omer. That is, um, let's see if I can get this straight. That is uh, three, three weeks in one day. You forgot to count last night. Make sure to do so sometime today. Three weeks and one day. Erev Shabbos, Parshas, Achrimos, and Kedoshim. Candle lighting in New York is uh, 732. Bahab starts Monday. Pesach Sheni is one week from today. Galitzal in the background. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio. 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday. Erev Shabbos is coming up here at JMDM. It is America's one and only Jewish 
moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Hey, MyKosher.com uh, is inviting kid cooks to participate in their video contest. Kids, submit your own cooking video for a chance to win great prizes. Details, go to MyKosher.com. MyKosher.com for all the details. Galitzal in the background. Galitzal. Did I say this already? I think so. Israel Army Radio. 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next. Spoke your toe from Jam and the M. חמש הערים הגדולות הודיעו שלא יחדשו את הלימודים בכיתות א' עד ג' ויהודה א' י' ב' בראשון הקרוב, כפי שקבע היום הממשלה. במכתב ששלח פורום חמש עשרה הערים הגדולות נטען כי העיתוי להפעלת מערכת החינוך ביום ראשון הקרוב אינו מאפשר את יישומה הבטוח והתקין של ההחלטה. לדבריהם, הנחיות המונחתות ברגע האחרון במהלך סוף השבוע מהרגע להרגע הופכות את המשימה לבלתי אחראית ואף מסוכנת. כתבינו יובל הראל ואליאס פילקין מוסרים כי בפורום דורשים מהממשלה לדחות את ההחלטה בכמה ימים. ההחלטה בנוגע לחידוש הלימודים בכיתות ד' עד י' תתקבל בהמשך לאחר שיתקיים בדיון. כתבתנו המדינית מוריה אסרף וולברג מדווחת כי במשרד הבריאות דרשו שחידוש הלימודים יידחה ל-1 ביוני, אך בעקבות דרישת השרים, ראש הממשלה הכריע שהלימודים יחודשו במהלך חודש מאי. הפעילות בגנים ובפעוטונים צפויה להתחדש בעשרה במאי. הממונה על התקציבים באוצר, שאול מרידור, אמר בדיון כי נפתרה הסוגיה התקציבית מול מעונות היום והגנים הפרטיים. מנגד, בארגונים החברתיים המפעילים את מעונות היום טוענים כי עדיין לא סוכם עם משרד האוצר הפיצוי עבור חודש מרס, ולא ניתנה התחייבות שלא להשית על ההורים את עלויות החזרה לשגרה. כתבתנו ניב יגור וכתבנו אליאב בתית ומוסרים כי ראשי הארגונים הודיעו שלא קיבלו עדיין עדכון על הנהלים הנדרשים על ידי משרד הבריאות לפתיחת המוסדות. שר המשפטים אמיר אוחנה דורש לפסול את השופט מני מזוז מלדון בהערכת מינויו של ממלא מקום פרקליט המדינה דן אלדד. בבקשת הפסילה נטען כי השופט מזוז גיבש עמדה נגד התנהלות השר עוד בטרם הוגשה העתירה. כתבנו לענייני משפט יובל הראל מזכיר כי אתמול הוציא השופט מזוז צו ארעי שמונע עד להחלטה אחרת את הארכת כהונתו של אלדד או מינוי ממלא מקום אחר במקומו. בשלושת הימים האחרונים אובחנו בירושלים 80 חולים חדשים בקורונה ומספר החולים המאומתים בבירה עומד כעת על 3,496 חולים. בבית שמש אובחנו 19 חולים חדשים ובחורה שבנגב נרשמה עלייה של 22% במספר המאובחנים שעומד כעת על 82. חברת אלעל דיווחה לבורסה כי היא מעריכה את הפסקת פעילות הטיסות שלה עד ל-16 במאי. כתבתנו לענייני תעופה, עינב קרנר מוסרת כי החברה תמשיך לקיים טיסות מטען וטיסות מיוחדות לפי הצורך. תחזית מזג האוויר בהיר עד מעונן חלקית עם עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות. אלה החדשות שעורך אילנה הרונוב על הביצוע הטכני, יאלי הראל.
Oh, 
ישראל עמך תשים לעולם שלום רב על ישראל עמך תשים לעולם ופה בינך לברך את עמך את עמך Thank <laughs> you.
יש אוצר שמציק לצאן, ואין ציר שיצעק לצור. רק אני מול ים שלם ולב שבור. JM in the AM, that's the brand new one from Cole Zimra that um, not only is a great song and a wonderful acapella cover, which it is, Halev Shali, uh, also a great video out. You'll see it. Uh, just search Halev Shali. The new video from Cole Zimra is out. Enjoy it. And we'll get uh, Gorf, Jordan B. Gorfinkel on the air to uh, discuss it early next week here. Excuse me. Early next week here at JM in the AM. Uh, before that, 613, you heard Shalom Rav, Hamalach, and the Good Shabbos medley. 20 minutes after 7 o'clock Friday morning, day 22 in the counting of the Omer. If you got the count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. I want to remind everybody that this coming Sunday is the uh, Zoom get-together that we described yesterday on the air. Uh, B.D. Deitch, the elite marathoner, Tamir Gutman, the pro basketball player, Michael Newman, the million-dollar mile winner, and A.J. Edelman, the uh, Olympian, are all going to be on a Zoom conference, what they're calling an Orthodox Jewish Athlete Virtual Summit, this coming Sunday, May 3rd at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. The Jewish Inspiration Foundation is responsible for it. Uh, it'll be live on Zoom slash com, Zoom slash com, And I recommend that you take down the Zoom ID so you'll have it for 1 o'clock this Sunday. The Zoom ID for Sunday is a 976-6960-6347. Again, that's 976-6960-6347. Six three four seven one o'clock Eastern time this coming Sunday, the summit with these uh, amazing athletes. Uh, it'll be an inspiring session. That's uh, <laughs> that seems clear. <laughs> You'll be hearing from some remarkable athletes who have a lot to say about um, about some of the uh, incredible things that they've done and uh, incredible things that they've done while being members of the Orthodox Jewish community, which is pretty cool. Benny Friedman's got a brand-new a cappella selection. Biadayim Tovot is the name of it. And here it is for you at JM in the AM.
Oh, no. 
with the wise studs with Menucha Vesimcha. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dog Sausage and Deli is the world's best, serving the kosher world since 1954 and available at better kosher supermarkets nationwide. Try A&H today. Uh, from the NSN app, um, happy birthday to Ronnie Lesh. Happy birthday. And happy birthday, Yom Aleyed Sameach, to Robbie Rosenwasser. Hey, Robbie, his birthday is this coming Sunday. You are really a very special person. That is true. May you have Hatzlacha and everything you do. That comes from Ima, Abba, Rebecca, and Moishi, and from all of us here at JM in the AM. Erev Shabbos, Parshas, Achremos, and Kedoshim, day 22 in the county of the Omer, three weeks in one day. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Bahab starts Monday. Next Friday, a week from today, is Pesach Sheni. We have a lot of interesting Fridays in May. In fact, our weekly update is um, reduced to three Fridays in the month of May out of five because we have, well, Pesach Sheni will be here next week with the weekly update. That's a week from today. <laughs> but then Yom Yerushalayim is on the 22nd. We'll be doing a Yom Yerushalayim special. And then, of course, the final Friday of May is uh, the holiday of Shavuos. So interesting month, lots of activity with Lagba Omer and Memorial Day weekend and Shavuos, of course, and Yom Yerushalayim. And let's hope that this month of May will really transition from this uh, time of isolation to a more normal um, mode of activity. Let us hope. Let us pray. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, good morning. I'm glad to hear you're well, and I hope everyone else is and stays well. Amen to that. So how do you feel on the eighth consecutive Shabbos that we won't be in shul and having completed seven complete weeks of isolation? It's a double sphere this year, but that's... Uh... I find it tolerable, except exhausting. As I said, this is a phone-demic, not an epidemic. <laughs> I never seem to get off of the conference calls and Zoom calls and literally 10, 12 hours a day. And so work progresses, and people are adjusting. And we'll see what, what all of this will mean, God willing, when this is over, hopefully soon. Yeah, hopefully soon is right. And uh, we are—look, uh, thank God— uh, many people, obviously including yourself, Baruch Hashem, 
uh, are working, and we are so concerned about our friends and neighbors and community members who's, uh, who, who are waiting very, very anxiously uh, to get back to their jobs and get back to the industries that have been completely shut down. And maybe, who knows, maybe over the next couple of weeks, and it's now May 1st, we know that officially this is supposed to end, meaning the complete lockdown on May 15th, maybe over the next couple of weeks we're going to see some movement in that direction. It would really, really be good because I know that, again, this, despite how busy you are in terms of the workday, I'm sure you know plenty of people are anxious to get back to their workday. Many, and I understand it, and there are many who cannot do their work uh, remotely, um, or at least uh, only a minimal amount of it. Yeah. Uh, but we shouldn't rush people. We shouldn't build expectations because we we still don't know. We have to see when this is tested in Israel. As you know, tomorrow, the, the uh, Sunday, the class is for first to third, but it's every other day, and it's under really strict conditions. And, you know, th- there's whole communities that you there? Malcolm, are you there? Are you there? Okay. Seems to we have lost him. Get him back hopefully very, very soon, like within the next minute or so, I hope. You're listening to JM in the AM, and I am making an attempt to reconnect. Malcolm, you there? Okay, one second. There we go. I don't know. I'm not sure what happened there, but welcome back. Uh, thank you. And and so we can't predict, and people shouldn't, uh, you know, get antsy about this. It's better to be sure and certain um, before we take uh, steps. You know, they still don't have a vaccine. We still don't know even when one would be available. And, uh, you know, the predictions that there could be there will be a second round. We don't know if it mutates. So I hope people will be patient especially those who are more vulnerable. But as we've seen in the last weeks, everybody is vulnerable, people without underlying conditions, younger people, women. So I hope people are just patient and, most of all, adhere to the rules. Adhere to the rules. This is not a war against the police or anybody else. People have to understand. And, uh, you know, we saw enough Chalil Hashem during this week, as we have sometimes in the past, and some of the terrible things that were said in response to it, especially by the mayor, um, but we have to. People have to give this time. This is a really serious threat. We've suffered great losses, and I think only when this is over, the day after, can we begin to assess that. You know, they're talking, uh, or actually, there there are reports that the police actually sat down and arranged with the community leaders in Williamsburg uh, a plan for that funeral. Now, I know it got out of hand, and I know that they they unfortunately had many, many more people than they had prepared for and expected. Uh, but uh, I, the reaction was not only a reaction that I think people in our community took offense to because of the language used. I think the reaction was also because uh, of the cooperation that New York City officials were giving to the community in Williamsburg. Well, there, there were people who were critical of the police for, for doing it. There were people who were critical that there were other gatherings when the uh, flyovers and set, et cetera, and there were crowds gathered in, in parks and other places. So, you know, the, the, if you're going to impose these rules have got to be universally imposed, and uh, but also people have, there are ways that they could have accommodated, you know, lining. And when they tell you to break up, when you see that there's a really outsized crowd, because the people will pay the price ultimately, because in that kind of crowd, many didn't wear masks, and they can yeah. spread the the virus amongst themselves. So and now we know that, it, that anybody of any age could spread it, and now we really know that anybody of any age can be a victim, unfortunately. Exactly. Um, on the vaccine side, I saw that a company has uh, doubled down and went all in on a vaccine that's now being tested in the U.K. 
and they're committed to having uh, hundreds of millions of doses by the end of this calendar year, and they know they may be getting this wrong because uh, the you know the trials have just begun on human beings. It's worked in animals, uh, but that would be amazing if we could if we could know that a vaccine would be readily available once we hit the peak of winter coming up. It would be very good. And Gilad Science also has a drug which is still being tested. There's still those who say that hydroxychloroquine, whatever it's called, uh, um, our people are still advocating for that. And as you know, there's stuff coming out of Israel, two companies that are working on stem cell treatments uh, that seem to have a lot of promise. And the FDA, others are giving money to, to expedite those processes. Hopefully from all of this, and you have Gilad Sciences in, uh, in not Gilad, um, Migal in Israel in the north that is, has something that's already being animal tested. Uh, so God willing, out of something, we will get uh, a treatment. By the way, on the school thing in Israel, I mean, you did describe that there's, I think that's where you got cut off, by the way. It sounded like you were about to mention that entire communities in Israel, are there certain segments that refuse to open the schools or are not listening to the... Uh... No, there were there were communities that are have been sealed off again till ah. m- Monday because of an outbreak, because of the number of new cases. And I said, you know, we can't take it for granted. We don't know how, what the impact on teachers, on the kids, because kids can often be carriers, as has been found, even if they don't exhibit any signs. Um, And, you know, we we have to see what happens when people start getting on buses and people start going back towards normal life and elevators. And, you know, there has to be uh, the social distancing and they have to wear masks and there are a lot of other restrictions. Someone said to me this morning from Israel that it's it's a I mean they they called it a war obviously it's not that but it's a very sensitive topic now about opening the schools they feel they can't send people back to work without the the guns at least the kindergartens being open uh, because there are a lot of little, little kids in Israel obviously and it would be very difficult on the parents but then again uh, so many people as you just described you know are wary about opening up school situations like that it's a terrible catch twenty two it's a terrible domino effect and. You know, I'm I'm sitting here complaining out loud to everybody, and the truth is none of us know. None of us know what the future brings. None of us know exactly what the right thing to do is now. And the economy, you can't let the economy go to wounds. This is going to take people's lives, too. Yep. People are threatened by the fact that it's not only their personal poverty, but the closing of, of businesses and, the you know, that will be permanent. So many other ramifications that we don't even know, let alone the loss of, in our community, of so many Rabbanim and uh, people, especially Jews, that you know, we'll, we'll feel that as well. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, what do you know about this Paris ramming and, uh, and the perpetrator who was uh, supposedly in uh, solidarity with his Palestinian brethren? That's so far what we know. You know, it's not that unusual, unfortunately, that uh, these incidents go on. We see it in um, many countries in Europe, and it gets very little coverage now. Obviously, the exposure of people is more limited because they're still under lockdown. But, you know, the anti-Semitic attacks here and there uh, have not stopped. And in fact, we've seen um, the the numbers of incidents, not only the increased anti-Semitism online, and especially blaming Jews for the pandemic and and, um, all of the attendant uh, blood libel charges that we've seen. We saw the report from Canada that it's the um, the fourth straight year that it was a record number of incidents over 2,200 wow. uh, last year. That was an increase, I think they said, of eight percent over the year before, and they're more bra- uh, raising and more violent um, uh, incidents. But the online uh, uh, BDS and Palestinian sources and others 
who have been, and left and right, of course, who are trying to leverage uh, the coronavirus to defame Israel, blaming Israel about Gaza, when in fact the opposite is the truth, that Israel, the truth is Israel has provided them with medicine, allowed in medicines. There's no uh, stopping it, but we see that there is a worldwide uh, response to the, to the um, to this, to this campaign and that the increasing virulence of the anti-Semitic uh, stuff that, that is online. There's no cure for it, but we do have to uh, pay attention to it. And, and this will come back to our campuses and uh, other places. And so when people think that anti-Semitism and these attacks are hibernating, it, it is not the case. And there's an 18% of study that showed that last year 18% increase in Europe in uh, anti-Semitic attacks, and that half of Americans say, American Jews say that, that they uh, witnessed or know or directly know of an anti-Semitic attack in the last five years, uh, which is a significant increase over over the past. Uh, John Michael Rathbun uh, in Massachusetts, goes back 10 days or more, was charged with trying to blow up a Jewish-assisted living center that had been targeted for attack on a white supremacist website that promoted a Jew Killing Day. This was up in Massachusetts. What do you know about him, and what do you know about Jew Killing Day? I know that, unfortunately, the people who threaten these attacks are not getting sentenced. Sometimes they're allowed just to walk out of the courtroom, um, and we have seen these um, these kind of campaigns. We don't, it's very hard to trace whether these are organized efforts as an individual, as a small group. I know that it was being investigated. I've not seen yet any report on that investigation. Uh, but we know that these are sustained efforts. They come from the extreme right, or you can have from the extreme left, uh, sometimes different forms of manifestation of the anti-Semitism. And um, there are positive steps. As you saw, the government of Germany uh, banned Hezbollah finally, something that we and others have been urging for a long time, uh, because they made a distinction between the, the military arm and the political arm. You know, obviously... A, a baseless uh, distinction, but they finally did it. They went and police arrested people in Berlin and Bremen and other places the, uh, and uh, outlawed the Minister of the Interior, outlawed um, Hezbollah's activities. Uh, hopefully they'll really pursue it and that every country in Europe will, will finally wake up to that reality that you can't uh, tolerate. And by the way, related to that and People, maybe there are those who are affected in your audience that this past week went into effect the law passed by the United States that uh, enables uh, people to sue the PA, the Palestinian Authority, over the terrorists, um, terrorist attacks. The law was passed in 2019, but just went into effect. And the this is a, a very important um, expression because it holds the PA to account. And this is start because of their refusal to pay damages to families of hundreds of Israelis and Americans who were murdered or hurt in their attacks and terrorist attacks in Israel. And the courts have um, ruled often in the U.S. that the PA is responsible and it's obligated to to pay the victims. I I hear that the number is uh, over $400 million that it owes terror victims. So this is... uh, a new tool to um, 
um, to try to bring them account and maybe end the pay-for-slay policy, which continues until today. So a lot of that money that went from the U.S. to the PA now may be on its way back. <laughs> no, that money was very specifically for fighting the coronavirus. But this, uh, you know, the money that they give to the terrorists maybe right. would stop. And the, they spend, you know, probably three, four hundred million dollars on the money given to terrorists or their families as the, the rewards and the, the compensation. Uh, and they pay for life, their pensions to those who are in prison. Right. So that's where the money could come from. Yeah, I was being a drop sarcastic, but it sounded like you realized that. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored uh, uh, digital radio. <laughs> Around the world, the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. By the way, I just want to mention MyKosher.com. Uh, My Kosher Kid Cooks video contest has begun. Kids, submit your own cooking videos for a chance to win great prizes. Go for details to mykosher.com, and special hello to our friend Kim from Keiko and kosher.com on this Friday morning here at JM in the AM. By the way, I'm sure you noticed this, but I thought it was, it is amazing when, when, when a, it seems, when, when some of the COVID, as we've termed them, recoveries, obviously, I mean those who've recovered from COVID, um, when when it's discovered that they are World War II veterans, when it's discovered they're Holocaust survivors, their communities are paying special tribute to them, which is amazing. I'm sure you saw the Dachau survivor who was uh, serenaded by the IDF and U.S. Navy with an amazing version of Hatikva, all done virtually, of course, through Zoom, etc. One of the one of the nice parts, or one of the nice news stories of this whole terrible episode is the recognition of that generation and uh, and the way people are reacting when someone of that background survives. That's right, but it's not just those who, who well, they are survivors, but not necessarily of uh, COVID in Israel and elsewhere where they, the police went and uh, right. saluted during the moment of silence, the right. victims of uh, uh, Shoah, that the, um, I mean, the survivors of Shoah, and to see young people who went around to all of the homes and they, the old age homes and serenaded them from outside and carrying signs and the people who were saying how much it meant to them uh, to see that spirit. And I think, by the way, that, that Israel will emerge from this with a new sense of commitment to the country, with a new sense of community and unity. You've seen the demonstrations on the balconies singing and dominating and, and um, uh, praising the, the first responders and honoring the doctors and, and uh, nurses when they came. And this kind of expression, which spread across the country. I have a friend who started a program, David Atchwell, in for St. Tillum, and it, over 100,000 to him were said. Wow. Um, and, you know, these are not stories they get out, but there is a real sense of commitment, I think, emerging. And uh, I hope that it will be sustained. That's why these divisions and some of those who sow divisions here or there and those who engage in irresponsible activities and slanderous comments should be held to account by the community as a whole. Unfortunately, we all too often march as lemmings behind some of these things, and we recently experienced it, But but the... Um, opportunities are uh, that we've seen in Israel, where the creative approaches to try and make sure that Holocaust survivors are not alone, to see how many young people volunteered to bring food, to deliver uh, stuff to people, not just young, but people who, who were able to get out and, and do it. It's really an amazing story, it's an, and it's across the whole country, and often it's spontaneous reactions 
to, to what has happened. And we've seen it here, too. Uh, all the wonderful activity, the chesed, that someday I hope somebody can document how much is, is being done, how many people are being fed, how many um, you know, people are being looked after. Unfortunately, there are still a lot of people who are isolated, and anybody who knows of, of not just survivors but older people especially who may not be able to get out or those who are homebound, that we reach out to them. With that in mind, and I'm so glad you brought up the spirit and the brotherhood and sisterhood that the worldwide Jewish community, but uh, especially in Israel, are now experiencing, Jewish Agency Chairman Isaac Herzog expects that up to 100,000 people may leave their home countries for Israel or make Aliyah once the current global health emergency is under control. Do you see a big immediate future for Aliyah because of COVID-19? I think the number is a little high. Um, I don't know what basis he made it. He's a responsible guy, so if he says something, it's uh, it could be hopeful, but it could be based on some sort of realistic assessment. And I, I don't even know what, what that basic uh, assessment is. He said uh, in the past, after many crises in Jewish communities... That's true. It, it does happen, and there'll be a lot of families like here who maybe in financial circumstances were having the ability to get free tuition, to have their kids get a good Jewish education without it. That's a huge issue, as you know, for, for many people. And also, also, it's a watershed event, like people who have been planning and thinking about it. You know, exactly. Everyone's looking for a reset to their family in, in different ways. You know? Right, but that's why I'm a little reluctant about using the number, but right. I do think that people will rethink where they are, you know, Israel is considered one of the safest, and some poll even the safest country to to visit. Uh, I mean, to to in fighting the virus. Right. Uh, unfortunately, we can't visit yet, and hopefully that will come soon. But not it won't come too soon, or not certainly not soon enough. But the the uh, I think that there may be a different attitude. I think that I hope also that there'll be more of a sense of community that will emerge from this. I know the strains are going to be immense. I see it on the institutions and the reports that we get and, you know, how many financial strains, how many places may not open, reopen, camps, we don't know what will happen. To, and if we approach this as a community and support one another and support the institutions that we think about the teachers, others, people may not be getting paid, that we have to make sure that we come out of this as a whole community, that the virus not defeat us, but we defeated, and that we come out stronger because of it. You know, this week, of course, Yomat Smut, and we spent a lot of time on the topic this week here, uh, and you just mentioned not being able to fly to Israel, and there has been, uh, it, it, it is hard for us, those of us who grew up with a state of Israel, and who had, and who have always been told by prior generations, make sure your passport is always valid, it's hard for us to ever imagine a time when there was no safe haven for Jews to run to in time of crisis. Thank God. The, in, in the countries that we're familiar with, uh, there is no crisis now, thank God. But if, God forbid, there was somewhere, no one would be able to get on a plane right now and go to Israel. And it, 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 this is the first time, except maybe post 9-11, but that, that lasted a much shorter period of time. Uh, this is the first time that, I, that the collective Jewish diaspora is feeling that emotion, that they cannot physically now be in Israel. And I think it's something important to point out as we remember the chesed of the countries in which we now live. Yeah, people, but we also should note how Israel sent LL planes to bring back stranded 
Jews, Israelis, all over the world, including a record flight from uh, Australia, but to send planes to South American countries where there were hundreds or, or of um, Israelis who had been on vacation or you know on those trips or whatever, and to send them all over the world to pick them up is a remarkable demonstration. I don't know how many countries did that, you know, were concerned enough for their citizens that they would engage in that expense and they were not charged for it, from what I understand, that they were flown back to, to be in Israel. And the numbers together total thousands uh, of people. So it's, uh, you know, Mikam Yisrael, we've seen it over and over again, and we've seen how important uh, the state of Israel is in, in all of this. Yesterday, President Rivlin talked with Governor Cuomo, and, and there are many joint efforts uh, underway, there's in fact, in fact a bill in Congress to expand the U.S.-Israel collaboration in fighting uh, COVID. Um, you know, we've seen people rise to the occasion in terms of of uh, wanting to see the support for Israel and that Israel's assistance uh, is sustained even in the difficult times and the, the difficult economic times ahead when all of these bills have to be paid for the aid that people are receiving. Um, and by the way, there was one other thing on the, I wanted to say that while there was good news in Germany, there was bad news in the UK because the courts there ruled that uh, you can't bar the on the basis of um, um, the discrimination uh, over the BDS campaign that uh, they couldn't be outlawed. So that's a, that was a setback. Yeah, that is a setback. And it's funny because most of the BDS style or, or BDS themed um uh, efforts have been, you know, have been going the right way generally. Generally, yes, and courts ruling and et cetera. But here, the, the, it was said that the companies could not and fund pension fund administrators uh, couldn't be stopped from investment. Those investments, the decisions, um, the the government had argued that the uh, guidance was put in place to ensure that decisions that impact the defense of foreign policy were not undermined by local boycotts. Now we'll have to see if this will be replicated in the courts in Spain where they have ruled against, in, in multiple occasions, against the city laws supporting BDS. Now we'll have to see whether this, um, whether this continues. What is the current status of the B.B. Gantz uh, unity government? Uh, yep. That's where it is. It's, mo- it's moving ahead? <laughs> Everybody's guess is good, but it looks like it will be wrapped up. They only have a few more days because if not, if they don't meet the deadline set by, <coughs> I'm sorry, the president, um, then we're going to be headed to elections uh, right now. And, and there are certain rules in this agreement, including the number of members of the Knesset that ha- have to be in the coalition or that will vote in support of legislative packages. The summer's in the 70s, uh, 73 or 75. Uh, and without Bennett, um, they may have to reach the Smutrich or others to be to be able to reach that number. But if the deal breaks, then it goes to we're going to go to an August fourth election because it has to be after Tishabov. This I, I didn't realize that that um, that so so Bennett. I keep thinking that that Bennett and BB are you know in this dance of trying to you know form some type of political relationship or a stronger one. Let's put it. Uh, thinking that BB really has no interest in it, but he does. He does. He, there, there is actually a reason why he would. Well, he may want to go to an election because all the polls show that he would do very well, and they might be able to put together a coalition. You know, blue and white has now been destroyed uh, or dissolved, and um, 
So, but but there is a personal tension, as you know, they don't get along, and right. that really, I think he would like to see him outside the government. Um, I don't know about Shaked. I mean, there were a lot of people who who wanted to see her in the government as well. But but is the we'll simple see. but is the simple answer to does BB need Bennett still? Yes, is it still a yes? We will see. Wow. As I said, there are alternatives. Right. And uh, it looked like politically it was just throwing him, throwing him to the side, you know, going through these formalities of talks and, and eventually just giving him some. There are people who have said that, analysts who, who are arguing that, you know, he, he doesn't want him and this is just. You know what? You know what might end up being the indication in the end, <laughs> in hindsight? Him, it depends on what job he gets. <laughs> if he gets a really, really bad, you know, position. Well, he wanted education. Right, which he won't get if BB's right, not yeah. trying to entice him with anything. So we don't. We haven't seen that move yet, but it's still open. So. So what's the, what's the, if we're at this stage now, the way you just described of this, you know, road to the unity government? Why is there so much annexation talk right now? What's going on with this July first deadline? And is that a, a, a Knesset issue? Is it a prime minister issue? What's the story with that? So there, it is in the agreement, that, and there's very few legislative initiatives. The first months they're only supposed to deal with COVID and the aftermath and dealing with the economy, et cetera. Right. But the exception was that uh, Netanyahu put in there that they would start discussion of annexation uh, on June 1st. And now we don't know yet what annexation means. We don't know what the conditions will be. The United States has said it's up to Israel, and and it is supported by the deal of the century generally, but they said it should be in the context of outreach to the Palestinians. We will have to see uh, wh- whether it will mean just E1 and Maladumim and a few other areas at first. It could be staged. It could be, you know, in stages. It could be that they will just uh, assert Israeli law in those areas. We'll have to see how it's defined, but, but both parties basically agree with it, certainly the Jordan Valley. And that has been a longstanding position, including the Alone Plan and uh, many other prime ministers talked about it. Rabin, uh, I think, supported it. Um, but you know what? It, it, right now, I think that they're not dealing with the specifics. There's a lot of opposition. The EU has already come out. The UN has warned them. Many others have come out in uh, warning Israel against this move, including people from the United States, members of the Congress, uh, some Democratic um, leaders. Uh, uh, in fact, many have uh, spoken against it. Uh, some who believe that it kills a two-state solution. Some who believe it'll be provocative. Wow. Um, and there are those who, who proposed even that there be punishment of Israel for doing it. Finally, yeah. finally, Malcolm, is Rasmussen right in the Wall Street Journal that this Iranian satellite launch uh, has shown U.S. officials and other experts that, in fact, their missile program is much, much stronger than anybody ever thought? It, it, it is stronger. It is, um, it's not that we haven't thought about it and have talked about it, but this, this launch was very important because this is a military uh, satellite. It was done by the IRGC, the Iran Revolutionary Guard. It, um, we, we saw some of uh, this capability developing, but the satellite, which uh, one American official said is like a stumbling webcam, it's a very small, it really doesn't have a lot of intelligence purposes for high-resolution pictures. But what is important is that this is a, a stage, it's a cover for their development of their ICBM, of their intercontinental ballistic missile. So they're building and using this because it's permitted to do space launches, not permitted to do launches that could have uh, military implications that could carry a nuclear weapon. This, these same missiles can be outfitted with a nuclear 
uh, weapon, and instead of a satellite to carry a nuclear uh, weapon, and that it's it's done to test uh, that to develop that capacity just as they are advancing their nuclear capacity. The um, and as you know, in six months, the the arms embargo is going to be lifted. The United States is introducing a resolution in the United Nations Security Council to extend it. The, the U.S. contends that they still have they are still members, even if they withdrew from it, but they're still part, I still have a say in this, and that President Obama actually mentioned that in, in when he was president. Um, and that some of the, Pelosi came out and said, well, you can't have both ways, others, but, but the fact is that the administration is going all out to make sure that this is extended because the Russians and Chinese are preparing to, to sell them weapons and are already probably negotiating or have negotiated those deals. And we don't want to see Iran opened up to, to purchasing it. They, they are in terrible, dire economic straits, yet we see that they, they uh, are sending planes, Mahan Air, which is under sanction from the U.S., to, to Venezuela, three flights a week with equipment and material because they're trying to support the Maduro government. Wow. And the and right and the and and it affects other countries, you know, adjacent to Venezuela. But they have made this big investment. Mahan Air was the airline that was flying the equipment and stuff into Syria to to Iranian troops. Came under uh, you know very tough U.S. sanctions, and yet we've seen now these flights in the last couple of weeks. And and this is a developing story that we'll learn much more about. And also we saw in Iran that they announced and are developing stealth drones. We believe that they were used in the attack on Saudi Arabia, but they think they have now with a 2,000-kilometer range, which means they can hit Israel and not Europe, but the the ICBMs would endanger the United States and Europe. And all this while they could spread the propaganda in their country that the U.S. is at its knees with uh, the total lockdown and with over a million cases, etc. The numbers, the numbers in itself can just you know, and, give, give and them lying the— lying about their own cases, right. which are astronomical. They, we, we've already begun to see some manifestations, but you know, because the country was, was under lockdown, the big demos demonstrations uh, didn't occur, but they will. Um, I mean, there's so much going on in regard to Iran and, and uh, elsewhere in the world that doesn't get any attention because all of the focus and all the news is is and rightfully I guess on, on Koban. Yeah. You know, Lebanon, they've sent banks on fire. There are demonstrations in Tripoli and Beirut and other places. There were riots uh, for on economic reasons that the extent of the poverty. We see Hezbollah has lost a lot of its funding from uh, Iran and has cut back on their intelligence operations. They closed a thousand offices and apartments in Lebanon itself because they sent their people to Iraq because of after Soleimani's killing and to Yemen and to Syria. So they don't have the personnel. The they uh, there were Molotov cocktails thrown at the at the police. The, the um, currency which was pegged set at fifteen hundred to the U.S. dollar, fifteen hundred pounds, is now four thousand pounds to the dollar. And so there's widespread poverty. There were demonstrations, and and the Hezbollah's hold there has been uh, shrinking because of the economic impact of the reduced funding. Unbelievable. A reminder to our listeners, if you want to print out thousands of articles before Shabbos about Israel and the Jewish world, head to our friends at jewishworldreview.com. Again, jewishworldreview.com, great resource on a daily basis, and certainly Erev Shabbos when you want uh, really important material to read over the weekend. Uh, Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful, safe, and healthy Shabbos, and hopefully, hopefully soon, we will take the month of May and go from isolation to uh, more of a normal lifestyle. Celebration.
Yeah, exactly. Celebration is right. Thank you. Have a wonderful job. Take care. Have a great job. And be safe. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Friday's weekly update here at JM and the AM. We're waiting for um, uh, Rabbi Yudin. He's uh, a drop behind schedule. Will join us in the next few minutes, so be patient. Um, but we're just waiting for him, and hopefully he will join us in the next few minutes here at JM and the AM. Tzarev Shabbos Parshas Achremos and Kedoshim, the uh, eighth consecutive Shabbos that we are in isolation, having completed seven complete weeks of this interesting life, uh, one that we never thought we'd experience, frankly. Candle lighting at 732 in New York. Upcoming this week, Bahab starts on Monday. Pesach Sheni is one week from today. Get the matzah ready. And um, <laughs> I'm telling you, I thought Pesach Sheni, after the Pesach we had, we'd be able to get together with people, have a little matzah, have a little, you know, make-up celebration after we weren't able to uh, celebrate together on Pesach with everybody. But it didn't exactly work out. Uh, but who knows? All of this can change in an instant, so maybe it will work out. Who knows? Um, so Pesach Sheni is Friday. Lagba Omer is the 12th of May. Yom Yushalayim the 22nd. Three weeks from today, we'll have a big special. And then four weeks from today is the holiday of Shavuos. It's a day 22 in the counting of the Omer. Three weeks in one day. 54 degrees, thunderstorms, a high 64. Really good weather in this area. Um, for both Shabbos and Sunday, if that matters. But I guess it does give people an opportunity to get outside a bit as long as it's done safely. That's for sure. Um, all right, we're going to get to Rabbi Yudin hopefully in the next couple of minutes. And Dr. Stuart Ditchick is scheduled to join us as well. So we'll have all that coming up here at JM and the AM. Um, Bubby and Zadie Florida have been in touch with me. Um, otherwise known as Cena, Listener Cena, and Mr. Listener Cena down in Florida. Uh, happy, happy birthday, number eight, to their amazing grandson, A.B. Schreiber of Bayswater. It is impossible you're so grown up already. Seems like only yesterday you were our A.B. baby, and now you're A.B. big boy Sadik. <laughs> a child who has the presence to end the conversation with thank you and amen is destined for great things. We're so proud of you and love you tons. Happy birthday, Bubby and Zadie, Florida. We know them as listener Cena and Mr. Listener Cena down in Florida. All right, so we'll do a selection here for you at the JM and the AM uh, in our Sphere of Format uh, a Friday, Erev Shabbos. And then we will uh, hopefully uh, be presenting Rabbi Yudin. He's a drop behind schedule, but he'll hopefully be with us in the next uh, couple of minutes right here at JM in the AM. Shabbat <laughs> 
Shabbos and Gilo is done by Leif Tahor. J.M. and the A.M. Friday morning hour of Shabbos. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. This time, each and every every this time, each and every Erev Shabbos, every Friday morning, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, uh, spiritual leader emeritus congregation Shomrei Torah in uh, Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. I hope everybody is well and being very cautious. Remember, the mitzvah, Ushmarta Ma'od Lenafshul Seichem, 
we have a responsibility. The neshama that Hashem has given us, the life that He's given us, we have to be cautious, especially in these very challenging times. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshios, Achrimos Kedoshim. Together we have 79 mitzvos. Even Parshas Kiseitze, which has the most mitzvos of any singular parsha, has 74. Tomorrow we're going to read 79 mitzvos. Now what does that mean? In Parshas Acharimos, there are two positive and 26 restrictions, and in Kedoshim there are 13 positive and 38 restrictions for a total of 15 positive and 64 restrictions, giving us a total of 60, uh, yeah, 15 and 64 is 79 mitzvos. If we have to take a step back, so very quickly, what you have in Parshas Acharimos, the first part deals with the specific avoda service that was done once a year by the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippurim. The second part deals with the bringing of korbanos only in the Beis Hamikdash, Mishkan in the desert, and afterwards in the Beis Hamikdash, Mishkan and Beis Hamikdash, and finally, Acharimos ends with the laws of the moral, sexual, moral code of the Jewish people. Parshas Kedoshim is an incredibly significant, important parsha. The Torah says, Kedoshim to you, you shall be holy. Now one might think that, how do you define holy? What does it mean? Does it mean to become a monk and go into a monastery? Absolutely not. Just the opposite. As we shall see, the Torah is giving us something, and the Torah begins Parshas Kedoshim with Daber Okol Adas Bnei Yisrael. This is not given to the Kohanim, not given to the Levim, not given to the rabbis. It's given to each and every member of the Jewish community, to every farmer. The Torah says to him, you can and will be Kadosh. You're going to be holy, as we're going to see in a few moments. And to every businessman, you will be holy. To every husband, to every wife. The Torah tells us this fantastic obligation slash privilege to be holy. If we have to define Parshas Kedoshim and Acharimos, I would say one word, wow. Now what does that mean? I'm just going to give you one example before we get started and we'll see what's going on in the Parsha. Okay? Now watch. We are all human. Okay? Now let's go slowly and you'll see what I mean by this. We all have our Strong points, and we all have our, that's right, uh, other points, okay? Let's start with something very simple, all right? I don't like the gentleman that lives across the street from me. I don't like him, okay? Uh, Am I allowed not to like him? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm allowed not to like him. What does that mean? The Torah says in Parshas Kedoshim, an incredible verse, you're not to take revenge and you're not to bear a grudge. If I don't like him, and there's a reason for it, 
then I have to sit down and tell him. I have to work it out with him. Now watch. It's pouring rain. And my neighbor across the street didn't know, whatever it is, he's stuck in the pouring rain. And he has no umbrella, and he has no raincoat, and I am passing by in my car. And I almost like feel like stopping and smiling because I'm happy that he's in the rain. Now, there's no question about it that I have not broken any American law, civil law, by not stopping and picking him up. If I don't stop my car, don't tell me you don't want to get the seat next to you wet. And don't tell me, come on, if I don't stop my car, I want to know, did I do anything wrong? Did I violate a Torah law? And I think it's very possible the answer is yes. Because the same verse that says you're not to bear a grudge and you are not to take revenge, the Torah concludes with Now that's a lovely song that the children sing in kindergarten. But how does it affect you and me? It affects you and me if I have a full car and I can't pick them up, I'm really sorry. But if there's room in my car and I don't like the guy, the Torah says, if you have to if it's raining and you are walking, would you want someone to stop for you? Unbelievable. This is what it means that the Torah says, what I'm going to tell you now, that the rabbis tell us that the mitzvos are litzarev esabrios. Litzarev means literally to refine. Lizakos. It's a refinement of our character. Unbelievable. A fellow happens to be a good swimmer. Someone yells, help, help. Someone is, God forbid, drowning in a pool. It's hot out, it's cold out. He's not wearing his bathing suit. He keeps on walking. I checked with my lawyer, brother-in-law, and could the family, or the person himself, if he should survive, send that person who can swim, the lifeguard, who's not on duty, could he send him a lawyer's letter? The answer is no. It's considered an omission in secular law. There's no such thing in Judaism. Be proud, pinch yourself. What does it mean to be a Jew? What it means to be a Jew is when the Torah says in Parashat Kedoshim, Lo samod al dam reyecha. This is chapter 19, verse 16. What does it mean? It means that you're a doctor on vacation and you never get a vacation. You take one week on vacation. You're finally sitting down in a hotel and you're having brunch or whatever it is in a hotel and the t- fellow at the next table, unbelievable, is having chest pains. Come on, it's my one week. That, no, that's right. That's right. Secularly, you have no obligation. Halachically, you are... So but what does that mean? It means the Torah says, I will make you into that, quote-unquote, better person. I'm going to share with you a medrash. The medrash is found in Medrash Rabbah in Devarim, chapter Vav. Paragraph Gimel. On the Pasuk 
in the first chapter of Mishlei. And what does it say in Mishlei 1, Pasuk 9? So, the Pasuk reads, Kilivyas chen heim l'roshecha. Translated, it means, for they, the mitzvos, are an adornment of grace for your head. Va'anokim secha, And they are, listen carefully, a chain for your neck. What does that mean? Like a chain, one link into the next one, says the Medrash so beautifully. Amar of Pinchas Barchama, Whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, you wake up in the morning, wash your hands. Don't tell me it makes no difference which hand I wash first, with a cup, without a cup. That's the greatness of Judaism. From the moment that you... Oh, come on. Does it really make a difference which shoe I put on first? Does it really make a difference which shoe I tie first? And the answer is yes. Because you have the opportunity in every, wow, thing that you do to elevate. I'm going to get personal just for one moment. Once upon a time, when I was in the early years of my rabbinate, and smoking was much more acceptable at that time, 50 years ago, so I smoked never a, cha- a pack a day, six, seven cigarettes a day. Looking back, I feel terrible. Of course, my late father was not happy that I smoked even that. But unfortunately, at that time, that didn't get me to stop. My friends, what got me to stop? I can tell you the gentleman's name, but I'm sure he'd rather I don't mention it. There was one college student that came back from his college vacation and came to visit his, quote, local Orthodox rabbi. And we sat down and we were, quote, schmoozing, and each of us were puffing on our cigarette. And I said to him at that time, I want you to know, David, I said, there's not a single area of Jewish law that the halacha and Judaism doesn't have something to say. So he looked at me and I had my cigarette in my hand, and he said, well, how about smoking? So I said, you know what? I remembered that I'd just gotten in the mail a week or two before, but I had not looked at it yet, a Torah journal called Tradition, and there was an article that caught my eye called Smoking and the Halacha by Dr. Rosner. I had not read it. I said, let's take a look at it together. We spent 45 minutes going through that article, and I can tell you with pride, I have never touched a cigarette again in my life. There's not a single, when you're told very clearly that it's not your body. The same way in this week's parsha, I love my mother. I put my tefillin on my left hand. On my right hand, I want to put a tattoo. And I'm going to put a, a word across it. And excuse me, in the, in the heart, what am I going to put? Mother, to remind me every day of the special mother that I had. And what's the answer? The answer is, it's not your body. You can't do it. There's not a single area. Listen to this beautiful medrash. Once again, wherever you're going, you're in business, well, you can't charge it. Everything that you do, right? You got to pay on time. 
wherever you go, you build a house, you have to make a makia, a fence around the roof. You have a, a house, you have to put a mezuzah on your door. And you buy clothing, so you can't wear shatnis, this week's parasha. And you go to take a haircut, this week's parasha. You can't um, shave right the, off your sideburns. Keep on going. You name it, we got it. The rabbis say it so powerfully, the Zohar, les atar ponoiminei. There's not a single area which is devoid of him, meaning that there's not a single area of life that we can't elevate, that we can't kedushify. We have a kosher kitchen, and we have a kosher bedroom. That's the end of Pasha's Acharemos, a kosher bedroom. Amazing. One more time. It's almost like I'll say to you, like I said to that young congregant of mine almost 50 years ago, think of it. Can you name a single area of life that halacha and Jewish philosophy and Hadracha doesn't have what to say about. And this is such a powerful concept that you have to pinch yourself and say how proud I am to be a Jew, how privileged I am to be a Jew, that I have the opportunity to sanctify any and every area of my life. I just want to close that we're living in very unique, troublesome times. Troublesome for us, troublesome for God. What does that mean? What do I know how God feels? I can only tell you that the Gemara at the beginning of Brachos tells us that every day Hashem mourns and pines as we do for the base Hamikdash. Think what it is when children come, when grandchildren come and gather around grandparents. Put that into words, into emotions, how happy they feel. Hashem feels and felt and will feel the same way when we are all, when we were in the Beis HaMikdash, when we will be in the Beis HaMikdash, all celebrating Pesach, please God, Shavuos coming up very soon, and Sukkos together. Unbelievable. This is what we're missing, and this is what He's missing. I cannot tell you why we are experiencing this shutdown. However, I'm not a prophet. I don't know of any prophet. If we had a prophet, he would say, oh my goodness, you have to improve on this. You have to improve on that. We don't have the prophet to tell us. But I really believe that each and every one of us knows that if we would dig a little bit deeply into ourselves, each one knows 
what my area is of improvement. And even though you might think that you are, quote, home alone, as we are these days, your actions, quote, unquote, home alone, do and have and will have a positive impact, not only on yourself, but believe me, on our environment as well. So therefore, we should take the opportunity and look at Parshas Acharimos and look at Parshas Kedoshin and then take a good look at ourselves and say, wow, Ashrenu Matov Chalkeinu, how privileged and fortunate we are to have this Livyas Chain, to have this necklace of mitzvos accompanying us at all times. And please God, with each of us, just tightening our belt a little bit better and a little bit more, Emir Tzashem, will all help make this place and make this world a little bit and hopefully maybe even a lot better. Shabbat Shalom to all. Shalom Aleichem, Malachi Asharei, Malachi Elyon, Mimelech Malchei HaMelachim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Shalom Aleichem, Malachi Asharei, Malachi Elyon, Mimelech Malchei HaMelachim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ay, Shalom Aleichem, Malachi Asharei, Shalom, Malachi Elyon, me melech malche hamelachim, akados baruchu. Boachem shalom, J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Dr. Stuart Ditchick. Dr. Stuart Ditchick needs no introduction for this audience, and uh, mo- many of us, if not all of us at this point, know how active he's been on the front lines of the COVID-19 situation. Dr. Ditchick, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Malcolm. How are you? Thank you. Thanks Rochus. for having me. I know you have news for us, which we'll get to. Let me try to ask a couple of just rapid-fire questions just to clear a couple of things up. You're, you're an expert on this like no one else is. Number one, there's an impression in our community and across the United States that if somebody had coronavirus, even if they tested positive for it, not just felt they had symptoms of it, 
but tested positive for it, uh, there's the feeling that they cannot be in this season, in this season, cannot be reinfected. Is that true or false? That is absolutely false. There is no data yet that supports that at all. In fact, there is uh, emerging data that uh, we're all looking at whether antibody protection offers uh, any protection at all. You know, the question is whether a person can get it a second time. Uh, most people who are making those claims are equating it with a typical flu immunity, uh, where somebody gets the flu one season and they're assumed uh, that they won't get it again. We clearly know that that's not true with the flu, that uh, with the flu there are different variants uh, or mutations that uh, you can get a different version of the flu with COVID. We absolutely have no uh, clear-cut uh, data yet, uh, no data that's been released by the CDC uh, that immunity is conferred uh, by this test that's being done. What people are conflating, and this is a critical distinction because I even hear physicians sometimes in the community uh, conflating this issue. Uh, when antibody testing started a couple of weeks ago, it was started for the purpose of donating plasma to critically ill or seriously ill COVID patients. Uh, what they wanted, the Mayo Clinic and Mount Sinai, was uh, to collect uh, antibody information so that they could then use uh, the individual's plasma who already developed some antibodies uh, to help critically ill patients. Never did either of those institutions nor the CDC make any claim that that antibody test could be used for immunity to tell people whether it was okay to re-engage with high-risk patients and the like. So that's where the misinformation started. Following that, uh, we see the predominance of labs now and clinics uh, advertising uh, antibody testing, and in many cases, uh, claiming that it's an immunity test. It is not an immunity test. Uh, the purpose of looking at antibodies right now uh, it will be to figure out, and, the, and New York State is doing that currently. They're doing surveillance uh, antibody testing, not for the purpose of guaranteeing immunity. Uh, they're doing it to figure out how many of us have had COVID already so they can calculate what's called the R-naught or the infect, uh, infection rate that one person can cause to another. How, how many people will one person infect? How, reli how, how reliable is yes, now how reliable is that test? Is that test 100% reliable just to provide that information? The, the antibody tests that are out there vary. Uh, some labs have FDA-approved tests. Some labs have tests that they've created, uh, meaning that uh, these tests are being looked at by the FDA. There will be very reliable antibody testing or quantitative testing soon. However, again, we cannot tell people that they are immune until the CDC and the experts at the CDC tell us what number uh, we need to know, in other words, the titer of the antibody, that tells us that we have maybe some protection. We don't have that information yet. No physician does in this country. How reliable, uh, and, how reliable is the regular test, meaning the tests are now being used just to determine if someone is, not was, but is positive or negative for COVID? depends which lab is doing it. It depends which machine the lab is using. Uh, there are labs that are more, some labs have a better uh, reliability than others in terms of which machine they're using. 
Uh, every lab has a different, uh, not every lab, but there's about uh, four or five machines out there. You know, you've heard the names banted about the Abbott machine. Right. Uh, there's many uh, different machines out there and technology that's being used. But again, to me, the reliability of the test, whether you go to any of the commercial labs or not, is not nearly as important right now as the misperception right. that the antibody test could be used to tell you you are now immune. We had a, uh, many cases in Brooklyn recently in the last week where people took an antibody test. Uh, they, told, they were told you have IgG antibodies, you're good to re-engage in the community, and they visited some high-risk patients. Two of the patients had lymphoma. Uh, one of them was an 85-year-old senior who was then visited by their grandchildren. That's inappropriate. We cannot give misinformation like that. I, I got the impression from you, Dr. Stuart Ditchick, with us. I got the impression from you off the air during a conversation that reinfection, you fear, might be worse than infection. Is it because it's a second time or you're simply saying that this thing is so bad that a reinfection could get you a really bad case of it? We don't know yet, Nachum, that quite frankly, you know, we're, the data is moving so quickly right now that we have to slow down and look at this thing. Uh, we, you know, the problem is uh, there's pressure on the economic side to reopen everything everywhere. Clearly, there are states. Which you get, by the way. You get that, obviously. Oh, I get it, and I agree with it. I'm, my practice, like every other business, is suffering terribly, uh, and I'm very concerned about the economy. However, we have to understand that every state is different, and there are regions within the states that are different. New York State is in a very, very different situation than Florida or than Texas or other states because we've had the dramatic, overwhelming number of cases right. and fatalities. So my view is let the experts at the state and federal level direct us on how to safely reopen our society so we don't suffer another wave. And the second wave will be very difficult to handle worse than the first because, not because there'll be more cases, it's going to be worse because the resources are already stretched within the healthcare system. Right. That's why another wave will be worse. Not because there'll be more cases, <laughs> plus at but some because our hospitals are already stressed. Right plus, now. plus at some point, you and your colleagues have to start dealing with all the other issues that people have that have been ignored and uh, not dealt, not dealt with over the last Correct. couple of months. Cancer so, patients so, waiting for elective surgery. Right. So when uh, mem so when members of our community get on the air or anywhere and they say this, ninety nine percent of the people in my building in Borough Park had it. Uh, you know, ninety nine percent of of Williamsburg has had it. Everybody who was this place on Purim, the thousand people that came to this place on Purim, nine hundred of them had it. it, it they have to be told about reinfection. They have to be told if they're not careful about washing hands, about social distancing, about masks, etc., and staying at home whenever possible. They have to be told they could get this easily a second time. I don't want to say easily, but there's no reason to believe that they can't get this a second time. There are so many variables. You know, one of the biggest issues that we're looking at now, Malcolm, and this is a huge issue not discussed in the media yet, we, we know that many families have suffered unfortunately, serious COVID illnesses, and in many cases, deaths, more than one member of the family, right? right. We've seen that within our own community. I right. have uh, families in my practice where there have been two you know, seniors or high-risk people who've been lost a friend, in the same family. A, a friend of mine lost so, his parents in one week, lost both his parents in one week. Correct. And now in siblings, we are looking at whether there are genetic uh, 
predilections within individuals or within families that put them at higher risk for severe COVID disease. This is a new disease. This is what I think the public doesn't really understand, but doctors understand it. Remember, this is comparable to doctors in the 1930s who were learning about polio when it first appeared. Right. We, we are seeing a disease that we have never seen before, and physicians are learning about this disease every day in ways that we didn't know the day before. And that's why you know, I started talking about the pediatric component of COVID yesterday, because we're now learning about how it affects children, and we're only at the first stage of learning about that. Good news or bad news? Uh, both. <laughs> let me let me hear. What do you what do you now know about kids and COVID? So the the, the British warned us about ten twelve days ago uh, that, and the Europeans that they started seeing uh, a, um, a similarity in children to a disease called Kawasaki disease, or even toxic elements of toxic shock syndrome. Uh, in a group of children, they saw about 13 children reported uh, from the literature in London that were having uh, an inflammatory disease of the blood vessels, including the coronary arteries of the heart, similar to what's called Kawasaki disease. So then we saw we heard of a report in, in Stanford and three here in Columbia. And yesterday I was referred a patient uh, who uh, I discovered actually had, it was a patient that had COVID over six, seven weeks ago, six weeks ago, uh, and she presented now with some unusual uh, presentation, and they, it was referred to me by another physician, and I worked her up quickly, and she actually was found to have an effusion around the heart called pericarditis and pericardial effusion, uh, along with some other findings. Thank God she's absolutely fine. She looks great, and she needs no further treatment other than monitoring, but this is the first reported case, and we're going to report this shortly, of pericarditis related to COVID. Now, what's interesting is the cardiology group from Maimonides, which I, who I worked with on this case, uh, told me that they actually have five other cases that were discovered to be Kawasaki. Four of them were Kawasaki-like uh, syndromes back in February, in late February, that were probably uh, COVID-linked in children, they all did fine. They required hospitalization and treatment. And a fifth one who was treated recently with a very rapid heartbeat, which was COVID-linked as well. So we now know that children do develop uh, either sometimes a syndrome during COVID where it can affect the blood vessels, uh, vasculitis-type illness. The youngest child the, young, the, reporting. the youngest child in that group is how old? Oh, and the, the earlier cases in February were young. They were anywhere from six months to oh, wow. four or five years of age. I don't have their exact ages in front of me. Wow. Uh, the child I saw yesterday was a teenager. Uh, and the important message is that, again, this is an evolving issue. We, we didn't know three weeks ago that children uh, would get these post-COVID inflammatory issues. Uh, we didn't know uh, until uh, 10, 12 days ago that we were seeing clusters of this. And now we're looking back to late February and seeing that there were issues uh, with certain children with disease related to COVID that we didn't realize. So uh, the good news is that children continue to fare beautifully with COVID. Right. Thank God we have virtually no mortality or almost no cases of fatalities in children. But we do have issues we need to monitor in kids now. Uh, related to COVID that we're going to get the word out. And physicians are learning this as we speak. Yeah. 
Uh, I get that. JM and the AM with Dr. Stuart Ditchick with us live via telephone. Um, all right, so some of the things that, uh, you know, it's funny, you talk about February. Now, almost everyone I speak to, including myself, by the way, is talking about what ailments they had in February that must have been COVID. And I assume that that's, no, that's, that's normal human behavior to now think back and uh, assume right. that, that if they had a bad cold or, uh, or a headache in, in, or, high, right. or fever, some people had fever in February and tested negative for the flu, that they uh, likely had it. Now, what do you think of this statistic that the, it's likely that 35% of the country has already had it? Do you think that that's e- even close to reality? Oh, I, I don't know. Again, the, that data is too early to say exactly because it's very state by state. You know, we know that New York, uh, uh, New York State this past week did a random COVID screenings in shopping places and on the street. And they found that in New York State alone, we had variability. In New York State, for instance, uh, New York City, we had a 21 percent or so rate of people who already showed evidence of having had COVID by uh, the presence of IgG antibodies. In upstate New York, that number was about 13%. So uh, it varies from regions within our own state. But we know that right now it's about 20, 21% of people walking around have had it. However, they did another screening uh, yesterday. I believe they started screening another 1,000 random people uh, in New York State, and they're looking for the next number. Why are they doing those screenings every few days the state? Uh, they're doing that to see what rate we have of people who already have had the virus. And that will be critical in determining when the city can reopen. But why, That's how we figure but it if, out. But if, you, one of the ways. but if you fear that reinfection is possible and anybody can transmit that, why would it matter if someone had it? Well, it, we again, that's I don't know yet that what the reinfection number possibility is. I don't want to give the wrong impression. Right, I hear that. What I you're, what you're I just be, you're just being extra cautious. We just don't know yet, and that's why this information that uh, antibodies confers immunity is not the case yet. Right. We may know that in two months, or in yeah. six weeks, or in three weeks. I but hear right that. Now we you, don't you're know that. Uh, you're being extra cautious, like you have been this entire time, which is to be right. co- which is commendable. Uh, because all right. we've seen what what the effect is of this virus. This is a horrible, horrible virus that can kill people very quickly and medical well, staff. And you've seen it up uh, close. Those of us who've been in the hospitals yeah. are terrified of what the implications could be of another wave. Yeah. Um, the dr- This week's drug, forget about the ones that the, the president and others were talking about a couple of weeks ago, but there's one that starts with an R that's being talked about as a treatment. Do you have any, uh, any opinion on it? <laughs> sure. Remdesivir. Uh, that's the drug being put out by Gilead. Uh, remdesivir was studied. Dr. Fauci, as you all know, made a very uh, exciting announcement earlier in the week that they decided to release uh, the study to everybody, another drug to everybody in the study group because they had seen very uh, significant trends. There were decreased trends in the number of people dying who got it, the people who got out of the hospital. Uh, the hospitalization rate was decreased significantly statistically in the treatment group. Uh, so that drug is now uh, destined for FDA approval. Uh, it blocks an enzyme called RNA polymerase, which is needed for replication of the virus in the human body. Uh, and the great news about remdesivir is not so much, it's not a cure, right? There are no cures. But the great news is that that drug proved that if we can block enzyme activity at the RNA polymerase level, uh, we can block the other enzyme activity levels as we block it at other levels of enzyme 
uh, requirements for the virus. So other drugs will be effective as well that are being studied. So that's the good news with remdesivir. However, it's not a cure-all. It's simply one more treatment in the many that we're looking at. Uh, Dr. Stuart Ditchick's with us, JM&AM Overtime on this Friday morning. Um, There is a company that has studied or has followed the news of the United Kingdom, I think it's an Oxford uh, trial, uh, for a vaccine that worked in monkeys and now is being started to to you know be experimented in human beings, they're all in. They are investing in tens of millions of doses because they want to be first to market. Obviously, if they if they make the right call here, it's going to be an amazing business boon for them. We understand that. If it is correct though that this UK thing is right and that they have made the right move in terms of trying to process tens of millions of vaccines, this vaccine could be av- available nationwide by the end of 2020. What do you think of this piece of news? So I'll tell you, I I read that, but I I was more interested in the Pfizer announcement a few days ago. Uh, Pfizer announced that their vaccine, they're working with the company in Germany that was ahead of of the ball, uh, ahead of the game on the vaccine. uh, And they announced a few days ago that they're going into large scale phase three studies within the next few days here in the United States. Uh, to try to get a vaccine to market as early as the fall or early winter. Wow. Now, I was the reason I paid attention to that announcement, quite frankly, is because Pfizer is a public company, as we all know. And I think that they would not have made that announcement unless they had a very good idea that the FDA was going to look seriously at that vaccine. Here's the challenge. Um, we know that Dr. Fauci originally and correctly said that at the beginning of this, it would be 12 to 18 months till we get the vaccine. I think to his credit, he revised that and he said, maybe we can get it as early as the winter. I think he's going to revise it again if we get good phase three quick studies. And what I asked for, as many experts have, Henry Miller, who's one of the prominent uh, FDA biotech founders, uh, founders of the biotech division at the FDA, He put out an editorial that I posted last week where he said that we should actually adopt many different ways to uh, the vaccine right now, a rapid development of the vaccine. But he also said that we should acknowledge for the first time the European approval process because it may be quicker than ours. And if the Europeans give a green light to a virus, we should use it. I'm strongly in favor of getting a vaccine as early as possible. If somebody told me, whether it's Pfizer or any other company, that they would have a vaccine by October, I would say that is a godsend and we should run for it because uh, we need a vaccine to protect the high-risk people within our population, including the seniors. Again, a vaccine is not a cure-all because people right. vaccines are never perfect, right. but like, it's better than what we have now. Like we know from the flu vaccine. In one sentence, Dr. Dietrich, how outrageous is it for someone not to wear a mask outside in New York City? It is horrific. I I, I am amazed when I drive around certain areas of Brooklyn or Manhattan now. I have to tell you that the number of people not wearing masks is shocking to me. Uh, And as I've said in the past, if you don't wear a mask, you don't care about other people. Uh, The other shtick that I see commonly, which is amazing to me, is people wearing masks below their nose, right? <laughs> where their nose is at. That means you're wearing the mask for appearance and not for protection or not for protecting others. So I think we have to be very firm about this. Wearing a mask is a requirement now. Forget about 
the general public, from a Jewish perspective, it's a halachic requirement yep. to protect yourself and to protect others. Hey. And if you see somebody walking around without a mask, politely but firmly tell them you need to get yourself a mask. It's inappropriate. you got to explain something to me medically. A friend of mine um, who I spoke to this week suffered tremendously. He had every symptom imaginable. Uh, three days of high fever, no taste, aching in every single muscle and bone in his body, you know, every imagine except never had trouble breathing. If this mm-hmm. thing attacks the lungs and that's its primary target, how is that possible? So, again, there's variability in every individual. I've seen people with zero symptoms who've had the disease to people who are obviously uh, uh, fatally ill. Uh, it is poss- I'm going to give you an example why there's variability. Forget about the genetic variability for a minute, because we now know that depending on your own immune system is how you react, and that's the answer to that question. People have immune systems that function differently based on their genes, based on their nutrition, and based on their state of health, right? Uh, the one thing I will tell you, which is fascinating, and I said this from the beginning, and we're working on this on a research protocol now, um, children obviously seem to be doing better than adults. One of the issues that we've struggled with uh, is the ventilation issue in adults, whether we're using the right type of ventilation, the pressures that we use. One of the issues uh, is the issue of surfactant, which is a phospholipid in the lungs that's needed for oxygen and carbon dioxide exchange in the lungs at the alveolar level. The virus kills surfactant-producing cells. That's what the issue is. Children are born with a significant amount of surfactant, and we know that surfactant is probably going to end up playing a role in how we figure out the respiratory management of these patients when they're very sick. I suspect that what you're describing is just an individual variant between individuals. Some people have better immune systems than others. Some people have genetic predilections to getting sicker with certain infections. We've seen that in families where multiple people have been affected seriously. So there's going to be variability between individuals. But what you just mentioned, the most important lesson, is not to assume that if you're not terribly sick that you can't transmit the virus. Right. You could have no symptoms at all and transmit the virus. And, We've and, seen that over and over. And you've seen people with, with people who you would have suspected, based on their medical history, had weak immune systems get through this fine, and you've seen people who you assumed are as healthy as an ox, as they say, and unfortunately their immune system didn't hold up. Yeah. You, you've seen Nothing. everything. I've seen five COVID-positive babies so far, to my knowledge, uh, who were born uh, COVID positive, who did not get sick at all. There have been several that I've heard of in hospitals that, around New York City that have been admitted. The babies I took care of had no symptoms of COVID, not a fever, not a cough, nothing. Uh, they fared much better than their parents did. So yeah. that is a miracle from Hashem, that babies right. are, are relatively unaffected. I, I, I get... uh, but that's a great example, a yeah. virus that will kill a 55-year-old with high blood pressure, uh, will a baby will survive with not even a fever. And the baby is, by definition, immune compromised. No, but, no you, but you've also seen 90-year-olds in bad health who survived it. Correct, correct. And I'll, those I, people have some uh, variability in their immune system that has allowed that to happen, not, or their genetics, not to be, don't understand it yet. Not to be too spiritual, but uh, th- this whole episode has really... It forced us to increase our faith because basically he's the only one in charge and he he knows the system and it's driving us crazy that we can't figure out what his system is in this case. Until-
until he opens our eyes. But yeah. one thing I will tell you that I want people on a positive note to understand as a pediatrician for 30 plus years, God has been so good to children during this pandemic. Imagine for a moment, God forbid, if children were dying, God forbid, similar to adults are. Uh, this world would not be able to exist right now if that were happening. So Hashem has blessed the children. He's protected the children. And we should appreciate that. What an important point. What an important point. And by the way, in history, there have been epidemics that got the kids before anybody else. Every epidemic has gotten the kids before everybody wow. else. The Black Plague, uh, the pandemic flu. Uh, you can go down the line. Every epidemic has killed children, not this one. Finally, and that's the message for people. Finally, Dr. Dietrich, and I know that there are people not happy to hear what we're going to say about this, but I think we have to be upfront with this community and with everybody in general. Um, it, with all the work that you and officials and government officials and health officials and uh, recreational officials are going to do over the next month, with all the work, and believe you me, there's nobody who wants to see this happen more than you, and I know that about you. We have to be realistic that the chance of a summer camp opening is at about 5%. Do you agree with that or not? I, I, my, I think that the decision to open summer camps, I don't think we're anywhere near being able to make that decision right now. Good to hear. I think with the, with the information we have that children can be affected by COVID, albeit in smaller numbers, is going to impact that decision. Uh, and I think the biggest fear I have is that politics will play a role in the decision. I hear from a lot of people that they're pressuring the state and the local municipalities in Sullivan County and Orange County to open, open, open. My answer is I dare, uh, we dare not believe that any decision about opening camps would be related to pressure from individuals or groups or camps for that matter. Right now, or parents. I think parents are the biggest pressure on opening camps. Uh, we need to let the scientists decide whether camp will be viable this summer or doable. I am not qualified to make that decision, nor am I, do I have the information needed to make that decision. But the experts at the federal and state levels do, and I think they'll make the right decision. But without pressure, it shouldn't happen open because we want it to open. It should open because it's safe for our communities. That's the answer. And the likelihood is because of the, the way we see the governors operating, what, whatever one state in this area of the country decides, likely the other states will go along with it as well. They're, well, they're trying to coordinate states because, unfortunately, or fortunately, people travel between right. states. What we do in New York impacts Connecticut and right. Pennsylvania and New Jersey. So, yeah, it's going to have to be coordinated between states. This is the eighth Shabbos in isolation, except for you. You spend Shabbos with people who, unfortunately, are going through really difficult situations. Do you anticipate this Shabbos will be a bit easier in that area than past Shabbatot have been? Yes. Baruch Hashem, the hospital is definitely quieter. I've been to Maimonides every Shabbos for the last you know, many weeks. I can't count it anymore. I'll be there this week as well to see patients and to you know, give updates to any of those families who I have relationships with. Uh, and I have a few patients admitted as well, obviously. Uh, I have a, a young lady who was transferred to my service. Hopefully she'll be doing better today. But, yeah, I haven't had a Shabbos in many months now, and uh, in several months. And, you know, so it's fine because that's a sacrifice that all physicians and nurses have made through this crisis. Right. Uh, I'm just one of thousands. 
but I will appreciate the, the time when I can spend Shabbos again at home shortly. So those of us who are home tonight enjoying a, a real quality Shabbos meal with our families after having davened with our children in isolation, we, we should keep that in mind, that there are people having a much different type of experience. Oh, yeah. And the families whose loved ones are lingering and very sick in the hospital still. There are hundreds of patients, obviously, in in every all of these hospitals that are still on vent each hospital that are on ventilators. And there's the fear uh, those families are alone. You know, their their loved ones are alone in the hospital yeah. and, and they're alone at home because uh, unfortunately uh, they can't get as much uh, time with their loved one as we have with ours. So people should appreciate being home alone with their family right now because many families, their loved one is stuck in a hospital on a ventilator. And there's tremendous fear, of course, uh, and worried about the elderly and others, relatives getting sick. Obviously, there's that fear, but there's another fear, I think, that's really starting to become prevalent, and that is that we've seen too many times, and obviously you've seen it more than anybody, people who look like they're on the road to recovery and then take a, a sudden turn that could be, happen within an hour or two, and, and things go terribly south, terribly, terribly fast. And I think that's yeah. another fear people have, that as even when you hear good news from a doctor about your friend or relative, you still fear, you know, what's the next day going to bring? Correct. It is a roller coaster. Every ICU care is a roller coaster, every ICU case, but COVID is a particularly difficult roller coaster because physicians do not yet know everything we need to know about this disease. We know a little but we're learning more every day. And, and the good news is that, you know, there's a great effort going on to coordinate that knowledge and, and to try to make it easier the next time around. And I think it will be uh, because America has stepped to the plate in a huge way. We've also been impacted more than any other country in a huge way. Right. Uh, anybody who makes an illegal minion this Shabbos, uh, you stand by what you've said in the past, that you have no interest in ever, ever having anything to do with them again. Correct. One hundred percent. More than ever, because we now know that the thirty uh, percent of us walking around are COVID positive right now. We know that at this point. We've known that from the beginning. So if you're standing in a minion of ten people, uh, three of you are COVID positive on the average, right? Uh, we know that with the contagion rate of COVID, you'll pass it on to many, many more over time, over a short period of time. So. If you're selfishly davening with a minion, if you think your tefillahs are more important than mine or than Nachum's, then keep on doing it. Uh, but the Rabbanim have spoken about this. Those tefillahs are not uh, uh, appropriate at this point. You can daven b'yichidus, and Hashem will love you for it, because while you're davening b'yichidus, you're saving a life. Uh, when you daven with a minion right now, you are potentially taking a life, and that is the truth. And whoever doesn't like that message, they need to reassess their, their uh, hashkafa. Dr. Dietrich, God bless you. Shabbat shalom, and thank you so much for the time this morning. Thanks, Malcolm. Have a good Shabbat. There he is, Dr. Stuart Dietrich. He has been on the front lines, as so many others, but he has taken a special role in keeping our community updated and continuing to warn our community about what we, what we need to know as we go through life on a daily basis during this coronavirus-19 situation. J.M. in the A.M. as we get set now finally to wrap things up uh, with journeys. And it's time to say good Shabbos at J.M. in the A.M.
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSingle.com and the NahumSingle Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing week for us here at JMNAM. My big, big thanks to Mayor Weingarten for an amazing uh, Yom Hazikaron special, Israel Memorial Day special on Tuesday, Yom Ha'atzmaut special on Wednesday to celebrate Israel's 72nd birthday. Thank you, Mayor. 
and Shabbat Shalom. Thanks to all of you for tuning in, for making this an amazing week for us here at JMNAM. Don't forget, coming up next, it's Naomi Nachman. It's the latest edition of uh, Table for Two. Uh, today, Naomi is going to feature, just in a couple of minutes from now, Donnie Klein, the founder of Yeah, That's Kosher. Donnie Klein, founder of Yeah, That's Kosher. Erev Shabbos Music Mix, sponsored by our friends at Kedem. Starts at 10 a.m. all the way until candlelighting time. Saturday night, single with Avrami tomorrow night. And Matis has JM Sunday on uh, Sunday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern time. I'll be here Monday. Please, God, make sure to be tuned in. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Till Monday, Nachum Single reminding you, remember to past, live the present, and trust the future.